everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. This weekend, Sajid Khan, a Santa Clara public defender, announced that he would be taking on incumbent DA Jeff Rosen. Here on Everyday Injustice, we have Sajid Khan. Welcome to our show. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to frame uh, this question that I really always ask somebody who's running for office, but uh, I'm going to do it a little differently than normal. So from your perspective, uh, was your decision to run uh, based more on the dust up that you had uh, with DA Rosen last year around this time, or was it more about his overall record? Oh, definitely more about his overall record. Um, and, and even more than that, it's about what I have seen uh, as a public defender in the last 13 years in Santa Clara County, what I have witnessed uh, practiced by the DA's office, the policies that are manifested in our courthouse and how they impact our people in this community, how they impact communities of color, uh, how they impact the ways in which our county is policed by our local law enforcement agents, um, it through, and so so all of that experience for the past thirteen years has um, been accumulating, and and the things that I have witnessed have uh, aggregated and and led to um, this moment where we uh, have an opportunity to bring about transformational change and. I believe that I'm uniquely qualified and situated to bring about that change because of what I have witnessed and been front and center to for the past 13 years in the county. Now, one thing I'm always kind of curious about in, in Santa Clara, you know, for, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've always viewed Rosen as more of a moderate. Uh, he's not necessarily the typical tough on crime DA. Um, he had gone through great lengths to create a uh, robust conviction review unit, uh, working with the Innocence Project. Um, I noticed that he often signs on to letters from organizations like Fair and Just Prosecution. So um, kind of square that perception with what you've seen over the last 13 years on the ground. Yeah, Mr. Rosen has done a, a great job of painting himself as a progressive prosecutor uh, here in the area and statewide, but that is not the truth uh, that I have seen, and that is not the truth for the people uh, that I have represented and for the people of color in our community. Um, Jeff Rosen continues to prosecute kids as adults. Uh, to this day, he continues to prosecute 16 and 17 year old children as adults in our adult court, subjecting them to the possibility of lengthy and life sentences. Um, he prosecuted 14 and 15 year olds as adults for the majority of his uh, tenure until our state legislature told him he couldn't. And even when our state legislator passed a law to prohibit the prosecution of 14 and 15 year old children as adults, Jeff Rosen and his office vehemently litigated uh, the, against that law only to ultimately lose unanimous, unanimously in the Supreme Court. We, Mr. Rosen 
continues to use three strikes enhancements that disproportionately impact communities of color and result in excessive sentences that lead to our plague of mass incarceration um, and don't make our communities safer. He continued to use the death penalty until last year in a uh, county that voted to outlaw uh, the death penalty in California. He continued to use it and, and has sought death against people of color in our county during the duration of his, of his tenure. He continues to pursue gang enhancements that only, or not, I wouldn't say only, but that are um, drastically and mostly imposed upon communities of color. As of 2017, I believe 67% of gang enhancements were imposed on Latinx people in, our, in Santa Clara County. And those gang enhancements, again, result in disproportionate excessive sentences and they don't actually ameliorate the problem of gang crime in our community. Um, and so these are just some of the examples in, of the ways that Mr. Rosen is far from being a progressive reformer. Uh, and that's not even to mention his failure to hold police officers accountable in our county that leads to police violence and unlawful police behavior. Uh, as of 2020, and in the, in, the, in the previous five years uh, to 2020, 18 people had been killed by San Jose police officers and zero of those police officers who were responsible for those killings were prosecuted for any crime by Santa, the Santa Clara County DA's office. Um, and 15 of those people were people of color uh, who were killed by San Jose police officers. And so we have a DA that is unwilling to hold police officers accountable uh, when they violate the lives and dignity of our people and leads to significant distrust in our community and ultimately makes our communities less safe. So you just listed off three or four issues that are of concern to you. Are, are those the top issues motivating your run or are there other issues as well? Those are the primary policy issues, but when we zoom backwards even more, it's about a culture. It's about a cult, wanting to bring a culture shift to this DA's office. As a public defender who has worked in the courthouse for 13 years, I have witnessed this DA's office uh, proliferate a culture of dehumanization where they uh, reduce people to their worst moments. They call people defendants and gangsters and rapists and offenders and murderers. Um, they call them bodies in court as opposed to utilizing people's names. Uh, they, and that manifests in their pursuit of um, lengthy disproportionate sentences and defining justice by months and years of incarceration as opposed to actually utilizing evidence-based sentences to hold people accountable, um, honor survivors and victims of crime and ultimately make our communities more safe. There's also the concern of the culture of pursuing convictions. Uh, this DA's office has continued to utilize cash bail to hold people in our jails uh, solely because they are too poor to get out. And then they utilize uh, or they exploit when people are in our jails to coerce pleas by um, making expiring plea offers or threatening that if someone doesn't take a deal that charges could become worse or that if someone doesn't take a deal and if they go to trial that they will be more severely imp uh, impacted or severely sentenced. That is not a culture of justice or humanity or public safety. That is a culture of punishment, of incarceration and dehumanization. And that is what I have witnessed and that's what I'm ready to change. Um, and you've kind of spoken in general terms, but can you think of like specific incidents in the last 13 years cases uh, that kind of illustrate some of these points? For sure. The first case that comes to mind is the 14-year-old boy that I sat next to in adult court, a 14-year-old Latinx boy in shackles in an adult courtroom being prosecuted as an adult in 2015 by the Santa Clara County DA's office um, being prosecuted and ultimately punished as an adult prior to the passage of SB 1391. I mean, it was shocking and emotionally draining for me to be in that adult courtroom sitting next to this 14 year old boy uh, handcuffed 
amongst all of these adults. And for me to feel helpless because the DA unilaterally at that time had the power to prosecute this child as an adult and insisted on doing so. This isn't something that happened in Alabama in the 1920s. It was happening in San Jose in 2015. Um, I represented a man who was uh, subject to the possibility of the death penalty as recent as 2019 here in Santa Clara County. Santa Clara County voters in 2016 in great majority voted to uh, outlaw the death penalty in a, on a ballot provision that ultimately failed statewide. But our voters uh, in Santa Clara County do not want to impose the death penalty and Jeff Rosen continued to pursue it, including against the man that I was representing as recent as 2019. Um, there's examples that go earlier back in my career where before the before simple possession of drugs could be um, or would only be prosecuted as misdemeanors, they were being prosecuted as felonies. And I represented a man who was accused of possessing 0.03 grams of crack cocaine, who was looking at the possibility of six years in state prison because of the felony charge of simple possession of those drugs and because of a, um, a strike prior. And that was a black man in our community. Ultimately that man went to trial and he got four years for possessing 0.03 grams of crack cocaine in, in San Jose. That was under Jeff Rosen's watch. And that is the, exactly the type of case that has resulted in our uh, severe issues of mass incarceration in the state. Um, and so those are, those are just some of the examples. I can rattle off many more because of the many cases of um, injustice that I have witnessed. And one last one I'll just say, and this is indicative of many cases, is, is the young person who was accused of a, of a residential burglary felony. He was too poor to afford the bail that was set uh, against him. So he was held in our jail. He was a 20 year old young man. Um, on the eve of trial, the district attorney's office comes in and says, hey, if you plead guilty to this felony, you'll get out of jail today. And um, that we call that the devil's bargain uh, because anyone placed in that position would plead guilty to anything. The district attorney was coercing and exploiting, I'm sorry, coercing this young man, exploiting his, uh, his poverty and his inability to afford bail to extract a plea against him and make him a convicted felon. Um, so these are some of the examples that, um, that inform why I'm running and inform the policies that we want to bring um, to undo these harms to this office. Now, one thing that I'm always interested in, and, and uh, you know, I noticed this in my county, there's a huge disconnect between how the voters vote on issues like even, you know, Prop 64, you know, legalizing uh, marijuana, um, you know, Prop 47, Prop 57, and, and the practices of the DA. Why is there such a big disconnect there? Well, you're, you're, that's a great question. Um, Jeff Rosen has run unopposed uh, in his last two uh, election cycles, 2014 and 2018. At the same time, every ballot provision that you've discussed was overwhelmingly supported by Santa Clara County voters. Um, the the measures to end the uh, unilateral ability of prosecutors to uh, prosecute kids as adults, the re reformation of our three strikes law, the, um, the reduction of, of significant charges from felonies to misdemeanors, outlawing the death penalty, um, the decriminalization of marijuana offenses. And despite this very overwhelming um, call from our voters and illustration from our voters that they are demanding meaningful systemic reform because Rosen ran unopposed, he was able to essentially unilaterally continue to inflict the practices that I've outlined that were contrary to voters. But now in 2021, as we sit here right now, uh, there, the, the voters and our community, especially after the murder of George Floyd, have made it abundantly clear that our county is ready for transformational change and for us to um, enact the policies um, 
from the top seat of the DA's office that are going to be consistent with our community's values and our desire to, to achieve police accountability and true dignity and safety for our for all members of our community and to undo systemic racism and mass incarceration. And so I believe that Rosen has been able to get away with what he's done because he wasn't challenged, but we're ready to bring that challenge uh, to him right now and to bring the changes we wanna see. So I wanna talk a little bit about police accountability. Um, so there's a case I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, are, are you familiar at all with, uh, I think it's uh, Antonio Lopez shooting? I am. I mean, uh, in general terms, yes, the San Jose State um, yeah. case, that's right. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, strange coincidence. First of all, I, I know his, uh, his wife. Um, and then uh, the other uh, really interesting thing is one of the officers involved in that shooting, this guy Fritz uh, Vanderhoek, um, ended up getting hired by the Yolo County DA's office as a deputy DA. Uh, before he was actually cleared of that shooting. Um, wow. Wow. Uh, so uh, maybe unpack this a little bit because, uh, you know, th this was a case um, that was caught on video uh, and there was really no accountability. Um, I, I don't know if you remember uh, the details of it, but, you know, uh, it was a guy with uh, holding some sort of blade, but the officers were fairly far away uh, when they actually shot him. So I, I don't know if you know enough to be able to comment on that one. I, I do know his partner, Lori Valdez, who started the uh, Justice for Josiah um, organization and has been on the front lines fighting for police accountability in the wake of the killing of, of, of her partner. Um, I know generally about the case. Um, I don't know, I, I can't say that I know the specific details of it, but what I, ha what I do know is by sitting with Lori and sitting at um, the local organization, Silicon Valley Debug, which brings together um, loved ones of people who have been killed by local law enforcement as to support them and then to advocate for policy and legislative changes and to advocate to the DA's office for accountability for when people lose loved ones to police violence. I just know that this DA's office has illustrated through their conduct an unwillingness to hold police officers accountable, not only when they kill our fellow human beings in, in the area, but also when they use excessive force, when they engage in unconstitutional and unlawful practices, when they uh, use uh, racially discriminatory practices in our county. Um, and I know that again, through my personal experience representing people that have been victims of police violence and victims of unconstitutional police behavior. And then by sitting with these community members who have lost loved ones to police violence, um, who have not been given justice by our DA's office. Uh, I've heard accounts from Lori and many others like her who have met with the DA's office, asking them to hold the people who killed their loved ones accountable only to be given essentially carte blanche justifications for why these police officers were justified in killing their loved ones, including uh, Mr. Lopez. Um, so from your perspective, what role should the DA's office play in police accountability? Well, it starts again with that culture shift that I mentioned at the top. It starts with someone like me who is ready and willing to be truly independent of police agencies. Someone who has stood up to police before. I have cross-examined police officers in our, in our courthouse. I have brought motions to challenge unconstitutional police behavior. Um, and so it really re does require someone who has the courage and the willingness to be independent of police um, agencies and to be objective. Um, it requires accountability on all levels. It requires a real um, vetting of each police report and body cam footage on every case to ensure that police officers are doing their job lawfully and constitutionally. And it requires a DA's office that is 
ready and willing to not charge cases where there is unconstitutional and unlawful police behavior and sending the message to our police agencies that we will prosecute cases when you do your job and you collect evidence lawfully and without excessive force, um, but we won't prosecute cases where police officers are not doing their job and not doing their jobs lawfully and pursuant to the constitution. It also looks like prosecuting police officers who use excessive force and not prosecuting victims of police violence. I have personally represented countless people who have been batoned and beaten and having dogs sicked upon them by police officers in our county, only to have those very victims of police violence be prosecuted for crimes like resisting arrest or assaulting a police officer in what appears to be an effort to protect police officers from culpability and liability. So it means actually prosecuting police officers and not prosecuting victims of police violence. And then lastly, as we just talked about, it does mean prosecuting police officers who unjustifiably kill in our community. Um, every police killing that occurs in our, in our county that goes without a prosecution um, sends the message to other police officers that they can kill with impunity um, and leads to obviously the most severe harm, which is people getting killed in our community, but also leads to severe distrust among communities of color in our, in our county that ultimately leaves us less safe. Um, and in your view, is the current law sufficient? Just in general or in, uh, in terms of police in accountability? In terms of police accountability. I'm open to exploring that more, but I believe the law has within its um, within its framework the ability for a, an objective independent DA to hold police accountable. There is nothing stopping Jeff Rosen right now from dumping cases where police engage in unconstitutional, unlawful behavior. There is nothing stopping Jeff Rosen right now from prosecuting police officers who unlawfully and unjustifiably use excessive force or kill people in our communities. Um, and so the framework of the law is, is uh, there um, from my vantage point, but it requires a DA that is willing to uh, apply the law uh, equally and justly, regardless of whether someone is a police officer or not. Um, and you made an interesting comment uh, during your announcement the other day. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the notion, and I, I, I don't have the exact wording, but basically uh, you wanted to be a DA that served both the needs of the victims and, and that of the accused. That's right. Um, how, how can you do that? There seems to be almost a tension there. It's a great question. What I, I'll start this answer by saying that as someone who has sat in our jail with people accused of crimes, uh, as someone who has sat in our juvenile hall uh, with kids accused of crimes, it becomes readily apparent that today's defendant was yesterday's victim and that today's victim could very well be tomorrow's defendant. Uh, we oftentimes have a false uh, binary that we create that there are good and bad people or that there are victims and offenders and there's no uh, in between. Um, and so I will say that my unique experience of being um, next to and representing uh, the accused actually informs how um, I believe we can best honor victims. And that also includes experience of hearing from victims in court. I have heard from victims of all types of crime uh, residential burglaries, sex offenses, homicides, um, and everything else that one can think of. And it has informed my understanding as to how we best honor uh, victims with compassion, with empathy, um, while also um, providing uh, rehabilitation, accountability, and justice to the accused. Um, and we start first by actually listening to victims. Um, as opposed to treating them as means to a conviction or only as witnesses. In my experience, the DAs in this county uh, don't often meaningfully talk to, uh, to victims of crime unless it's related to where they're gonna have to be to testify um, 
what they might testify to or coordinating their testimony, but not actually meeting with them to understand what their needs are, uh, what their goals are in a particular case, and actually providing them interventions and evidence-based services to make them whole and healed. Um, we have reduced justice to victims or for victims in this county to months and years of incarceration. And that ultimately doesn't, from my vantage point and from what I understand that victims want, doesn't actually restore victims and doesn't make our community safer and doesn't protect us from the next victim. So what I, what I will say is that when we see a case come before us, let's say domestic violence or a residential burglary or a robbery, we are going to uh, try to understand who the accused is, what the context is of their behavior, what the root causes are of their behavior. We're going to want to understand who the victim is, what, their, what harm they suffered, what needs they have, what they desire as justice and as an uh, appropriate outcome in the case, and ultimately what our community needs as well to, to ultimately be um, safe and um, thriving in the long term and try to find evidence-based outcomes to serve all of those purpose, purposes simultaneously. Because when we actually address the root causes of crime, we will be restoring victims and protecting our community from uh, more victims in the future. And you've kind of hinted around this, but uh, what role would uh, a restorative justice process play in your administration? I think it would. It's it's significant. We we have to reimagine our criminal legal system. What we are doing right now is not working. It is has created a epidemic of mass incarceration. It has resulted in severe racial disparities, and it has not left our communities uh, safer, especially our communities of color. Um, and so. I believe that we will utilize any and all evidence-based programs, including restorative justice um, practices, to actually cultivate solutions to uh, crime that hold people accountable for the harms that they've inflicted, honor victims of crime and survivors of crime, and then ultimately leave our community safer. And that includes uh, the utilization of more diversion programs, um, more pro, more uh, pre pre conviction or or uh, more um, diversion programs that allow for um, justice to be served that doesn't have to involve incarceration or a felony conviction. And you've had a chance now um, over the last several cycles to uh, actually see. Uh, some of these ideas uh, put in, into practice in various offices across the country. Uh, you can go, uh, you know, uh, a little bit up the road and uh, uh, get to San Francisco. Uh, you can go down the road and see what they're doing in LA and, and really all over the country. Um, so, you know, what, what thoughts do you have about how you're going to organize your office, what the priorities are going to be in terms of uh, reforms? Yeah, I, I think the, the beautiful thing about what we are envisioning is that we're not envisioning wanting to expand the resources needed for this DA's office. We have the resources right before us. They're being misutilized and misallocated right now. Uh, they are being misutilized in the pursuit of prosecuting kids as adults. They're being misutilized in pursuing three strikes enhancements and all the litigation that comes along with that. They've been misutilized in the pursuit of the death penalty in Santa Clara County. So if we were to stop doing those things, we were to stop prosecuting kids as adults, we would stop prosecuting three strikes enhancements, stop pro prosecuting gang enhancements, stop prosecuting death cases and, um, and things like that. We would free up significant resources to actually uh, produce uh, outcomes that uh, leave our community more, more safe. And tangibly, how we do that is moving significant resources to the front end of cases. I think it's really critical that we have um, compassionate, thoughtful, uh, forward-thinking people who are in charge of 
um, charging decisions because that charging decision uh, affects the whole lifeline of a case. Um, and we want to have significant resources dedicated on the front end of cases to understand and create information about why this crime occurred, who is the accused, who is the uh, alleged victim, what are their respective needs, what interventions are necessary to, uh, again, hold people accountable, provide rehabilitation, provide restoration to victims, and then ultimately leave our communities safer. Um, and so I want to uh, really kind of reallocate resources, uh, both human and financial to the front end of cases so that we make very thoughtful and wise charging decisions that also hold police accountable in the ways that I outlined earlier. Um, uh, and so that's, that is in a nutshell how I envision um, on, the, on day one um, uh, making significant changes is policy change that I've out already outlined that allow us to reallocate resources to the front end of cases um, so that we um, make thoughtful charging decisions that, that help us effectuate outcomes that are actually um, beneficial, beneficial and meaningful to our community. And then the other thing that's kind of happening right now is, uh, you know, we've seen, and I'll characterize it as the media overblowing, um, you know, uh, crime uh, statistics. And so there's kind of a pushback now. Um, how is that going to play into uh, how you proceed over the next year? Yeah, we're not naive to the resistance that will come to this movement and this effort that I and my and our group are bringing to Santa Clara County. We have operated for decades in this country and in this county um, in a system of mass incarceration and marked by systemic racism. It is uh, this, a system that our community has become very much familiar with. Um, and accustomed to, um, but it is a system that's not working and needs significant transformation. But we recognize that there will be resistance there will, um, and there will be um, forces that try to keep us in the status quo. Um, so, so I'm ready to take this fight on because I know that on the other side of this fight is a renewed, reimagined, thriving community marked by safety and dignity for all our people, including communities of color. Um, and, I, and I believe that what we will um, see and manifest through these reforms is a system that undoes um, systemic racism and the significant racial disparities that are ongoing in Santa Clara County courts and undoes mass incarceration and then ultimately makes uh, our community um, safer, healthier, and keeps families together. Um, and and the, the, you know, I know we, David, you mentioned about, you know, other places, San Francisco, LA, but what I know is Santa Clara County. Um, I'm from here. I grew up here, born and raised here. I live here now. I'm raising my children here. I'm invested. Uh, in this county, I'm invested in the safety and well-being of my children, the people that they go to school with, the people I went to school with here locally, and I believe that I am uniquely qualified and experienced to bring about the thriving um, community uh, that I want to see and I want to live in and I want my kids to be raised in. And along those lines, you know, one thing I noticed, and I've covered a lot of these races across the country, is that um, you know, even at the point of your announcement, you're really plugged into a lot of these communities, whereas a lot of other candidates kind of have to build uh, the movement. It, it seems like you're already in the movement. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, you know, this was not on my career plan. You know, I became a public defender uh, 13 years ago in this county to serve um, the place and to serve the people, uh, serve the place I grew up in and serve the people I grew up with and that I live with. 
And I foresaw that I would be a public defender for the duration of my career doing this very meaningful work, um, fighting for the rights of, of all of us, fighting against mass incarceration, holding police accountable, and uh, trying to cultivate values of compassion and mercy and redemption. And to that end, I have been active and you and I have communicated over the years and we've connected. I've been active both locally and statewide with the networks you're describing. I've been an ally with a group, um, Silicon Valley Debug, uh, who has been working on the ground both here and statewide and nationally to reform and transform our system. I have been on the streets and in the community working with uh, our diverse uh, people in Santa Clara County, whether it be the Muslim community, the South Asian community, Latinx populations, uh, the formerly incarcerated people in our county, and, uh, as well as uh, people that have suffered harm in our community. Uh, I've been in, the, in, in these spaces, not because I was running for office, just because it was the right thing to do and because I wanted to cultivate um, real change for uh, the place that I live in. And just serendipity, destiny, uh, you know, life circumstances uh, shifted in the past year after the killing of George Floyd. And I recognized, I heard the call from the community, from the streets um, on, on, on Zoom calls and on editorials uh, demanding transformational change for our county. And that's why I'm running is to meet the moment and answer the call for service and to bring about uh, the uh, community that uh, I believe that we can be. Now, last year, um, you know, right after George Floyd, you wrote a column that uh, really kind of blew up. Uh, can you describe, you know, both, and, you know, briefly for those who are not uh, familiar what happened, but also, you know, what lesson that really taught you? Yeah, um, so after the killing of George Floyd, I was out on the streets here in San Jose with everyone else demanding that Black Lives Matter and that we, um, that we, we, and we were demanding systems change to actually make Black Lives Matter, to manifest those words. Um, and I was out there at our local San Jose City Hall and I, I realized, I said to myself, we're in the wrong place. We should be rallying and protesting at the DA's office because I know that the DA's office has been the place and is the place where the dehumanization of black lives continues and perpetuates. It's where police are not held accountable when they, they uh, take the lives of our fellow human beings. It's where we perpetuate our systems of mass incarceration that plague communities of color and leave generational trauma on black people and brown people and marginalized communities in our county for, for decades. And so I wrote this um, blog post initially turned op-ed. Op I believe Davis Vanguard published it as well. And that's what it was. It was an editorial column demanding for citizens and voters and community members to hold their DA's offices accountable for their roles in perpetuating these harms upon our community. And in response to that, instead of having a DA that said, you know what, I hear you, I am going to commit to real transformational change to manifest Black Lives Matter, I was met by a DA who filed a county complaint against me, uh, claiming that I was inciting violence against his office and utilizing very ugly rhetoric that was rooted in my faith and my race um, and my ethnic background. Um, ultimately, the community came to my back, um, public defenders, Muslim organizations, civil rights organizations, people that know me, people that didn't know me, um, demanding that the DA withdraw his complaint. Um, and it was a beautiful, um, gathering a virtual community because we were in the during the pandemic but ultimately what it showed to me was look this da failed to meet this moment he is unwilling to meet this moment he is not capable of meeting the moment given his um his beliefs and his practices and his policies and the community is demanding something different and so born from that 
um, those moments is this movement, is this movement to say, if you're not willing to do it, then we're coming after you and we're going to take that seat and enact the change and the values and the community that we want to see. And so that's why I'm running for Santa Clara County DA, not for any personal gripes. This is not to get back at Rosen. It's never been about me. Even when I wrote the blog post, it wasn't about me. This has always been about um, manifesting and trans uh, manifesting transformational change so that we have a system that provides justice, dignity, and safety for all our people. Yeah, and, and what was interesting, at least uh, for me last year, was that, and I, I forget the order of things, but uh, right around the same time, um, you know, uh, there was um, a, uh, at least statewide, maybe it was national, where uh, the public defenders would go and they'd march for uh, Black Lives. I think it was June 8th or so. Mm -hmm. And um, in Yolo County, where I live, uh, our public defender um, did this protest uh, and then went on the local TV and pointed out the disproportionate number of Blacks uh, in the local jail. And I think it was like 28% of the people uh, in the jail uh, were Black uh, in a county where 3% of the population is Black. Um, and instead of the DA, you know, kind of acknowledging that there might be a problem, he A, uh, denied the problem and then proceeded to attack uh, the public defender. And so, and it was, it, it was vicious. Um, and, and so it was just exactly, you know, as you described, the failure to meet the moment um, turned into this ugly moment that didn't really have to be. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's this, this amazing thing was, was happening and people just kind of completely missed that, you know, maybe this isn't all on me that there's a problem here, but it is a little bit on me to try to figure out a way to solve this rather than point the fingers. And it seemed like the same thing happened in your case, uh, worse actually, because, uh, you know, he tried to initiate some kind of formal proceeding, whereas, uh, you know, the DA in our county just kind of blew some smoke. Um, but, you know, it, it's just kind of like, really? Right. <laughs> Did you feel like, you know, like, really, this is what we're going to argue about here? Yeah, it was it was bewildering to me, too. Um, and the the amount of energy that we were expending on 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 that, as opposed to actually working to answer the community's call and to affect the changes we want to see. You know, one thing I'll say is that uh, Brian Stevenson talks about truth telling, that in order to actually achieve change, I'm paraphrasing him, that we have to start by telling the truth. We have to start by telling the truth about systemic racism, about mass incarceration, about the dehumanization of black lives. And we just have a DA that is proven himself unwilling to recognize those truths. He's, he's unwilling to say Black Lives Matter. Um, and so instead, like you were just saying, he turned that around and, and turned it into uh, a fight or a complaint against me, as opposed to actually doing the work necessary to uh, undo those harms. Um, and, you know, you mentioned statistics, you know, in Santa Clara County is approximately 2% Black, but about 13% of felony prosecutions prosecute black people. We're about 26% Latinx. It accounts for the Latinx populations count for approximately 45% of our felony and misdemeanor prosecutions. As I mentioned earlier, 67% uh, of gang enhancements are prosecuted against Latinx people. And I believe upwards of 80 plus percent are prosecuted against uh, people of color in this community. And so those are the realities of our of our of what's going on in our in our city in our county, um, and we need a DA that is willing to acknowledge those realities and then actually um, produce or actually um, put into place practices that undo those uh, realities and those those uh, those disparities as opposed to spending his time filing complaints against me for uh, writing an op-ed um, calling for accountability. Now, anyone watching this or listening to this uh, not from California may not realize that uh, Santa Clara County is kind of big. 
um, you know, what, uh, 1.5 million people or so? Believe upwards of 2 million people, yeah, 15 oh, okay, cities. even more than I thought. Um, uh, so, I mean, this is a monumental undertaking. How are you going to get the resources to be able to fight this fight? I'm really excited about the, the, the diversity uh, and the, the width of our support. Um, as you saw, David, you were, you were there at our rally on Sunday. We had uh, 200 plus people there. Um, they came from all walks of life here in Santa Clara County. I'm a, I'm a proud Muslim growing up here in our local Muslim community. Uh, we had, um, so we, I, I'm hopeful to have the financial and human support of our, of our local uh, Muslim community. Um, as a son of immigrants, um, I am also connected to, to our immigrant populations. And so really, really excited to tap into um, those networks. Um, it, already there's been significant buzz. We've only been uh, a live candidacy for two days and the momentum is building um, significantly locally and statewide. And so I'm very optimistic um, that we're going to have the both the financial resources and the human resources to, to, to win this, um, to have people on the ground knocking on doors, meeting people where they're at in our communities, um, unearthing and turning out new voters that previously haven't voted, uh, educating people about who a DA is, what powers they have and how they impact people's lives. Um, and so I'm really excited. In addition to that, we've, we have, we have a, a beautiful base of, of local uh, endorsements and also some national endorsements that are starting to come in that I think are gonna be able to, to help us um, expand our reach um, in, into communities that may not know me yet, uh, but will come to know me uh, soon and come to know that I'm the right person to, to uh, lead our county uh, into this uh, new era. Um, I, I guess uh, out of curiosity, I mean, is the, uh, are there any progressives on the city council in San Jose? Yeah, I would say so. Um, the, the city council is, uh, I believe it's nine, nine people deep and um, there are some forward thinking um, people and um, I'm getting to know some and many of them through this process of uh, in the lead up to running and, um, and then ultimately now that I'm running. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that we will have um, the ability to create connections and collaboration with not only the San Jose City Council members, but also city councilors from cities like Sunnyvale and Gilroy and Milpitas um, um, from across the county uh, to really, again, cultivate uh, this new new era for our community. I keep forgetting Gilroy is in Santa Clara County. Yeah, Gilroy, Palo Alto, Milpitas, <laughs> Los Gatos. I mean, it's a big place. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, well, I, I've known the place my whole life and I'm really excited to um, connect with um, leaders and community members um, from across the county um, that I believe are gonna support us. So we're just about out of time. Uh, maybe some final thoughts. I'm ready. I'm re I'm ready. I, I feel so centered and aligned and excited uh, to uh, take on this this moment um, and meet the demands of our county and to create a county culture that is uh, rooted in values of mercy, compassion, empathy redemption and justice, a county that is marked by dignity and safety for all our people, a county that stops measuring justice by months and years of incarceration, a county where people feel empowered and are thriving, where families are kept together, where kids are treated as kids, where we uh, reallocate resources in our community to prevent crime and when crime does occur, that we respond in a way that honors victims, holds people accountable, and actually cultivates sustainable public safety. Um, so I'm really excited to bring about all of that um, through this campaign and through um, winning the seat of Santa Clara County DA. And I would love uh, people to join us in this movement, um, either by 
financially or by walking with us or just sending good positive energy, um, going to the my website, uh, votesajid.com um, and being a part of this movement to something uh, beautiful. So thank you, David. I was just going to ask you to uh, give your website. So good job there. Um, <laughs> what's the best way for someone to follow you? Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So they can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram uh, at the T-H-E Sajid A Khan, S-A-J-I-D-A, my middle initial, and then K-H-A-N. So at the Sajid A Khan on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and you can also email me at Sajid at votesajid.com or uh look up that website and sign up with us and contribute and join this movement to uh, make our county uh, a really thriving, beautiful place. Great. Well, we want to thank you for coming on today and uh, sharing your ideas and thoughts on your candidacy. Thanks, David. I appreciate you and I appreciate uh, this conversation. Thanks so much. That was Sajid Khan, who's running for DA in Santa Clara County. Uh, we're we're going to be busy over the next uh, year. Uh, there are at least uh, six reform DA candidates that have emerged in California, and we'll be tracking those races as well as races across the country. This has been Everyday Injustice. I am your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.